Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. And my guest in this podcast is Katie Pollock. She's an award-winning writer for the stage, radio and screen. Her plays for theatre include Normal, The Becoming, The Handside Monologues, Age of Entitlement, Blue Italian and Nil by Sea, among others. Her work has been performed on the radio and Normal is being adapted for film. She has several TV and theatre works in development. Her awards include the Rodney Seaborn Playwrights Award, the Martin Le Secretis Prize, the inscription Edward Albee Playwriting Scholarship, inaugural Town Hall Theatre Ingenious Award and three Augie nominations. She's done so much more than that, but she's here to talk about her work, Rough Trade, which is on as part of the Sydney Fringe Festival and running from the 6th to the 10th of September at the Seymour Centre. Please welcome Katie Pollock. Hello. Thank you so much, Regina. Thank you for having me. We're on at the Seymour Centre and then we're very uh, grateful we've been given two extra dates the following week at the Parramatta Riverside Theatres at the Lennox Theatre on the 15th and 16th. So two chances. Excellent. I, I can't wait to talk about this production because I, yeah, I'm really interested in based on Facebook groups or community groups that share things online. But before we do, I want to get an idea of how you came to the theatre to be a playwright or take me back to the beginning. Did you, where did you grow up and was it a creative environment? Oh, great question. No, not at all completely the opposite. My dad was in computing. My mum was um, the classic housewife supporting his career and three kids within three years of each other. Um, We moved all around the world uh, very frequently. So I went to a different school practically every year or year and a half. And I suspect that's what made me turn to theatre because, of course, you're doing a show and you're in an instant family. So as a kid, I joined all those drama groups and did acting all through school, all through high school, all through uni. And all of the times we moved, of course, you're always the outcast when you move that often anyway. And you've got the wrong accent in the wrong country and the wrong clothes and you're just wrong. Um, So... Theatre is a natural uh, way to go. I think you either sort of do theatre or sport if you're one of those kids. You just find a group that will accept you. So that's how I got into theatre. And as I say, did that all through school, all through uni. I, I did an English literature degree, but I acted all the way through and loved it so much. And I wanted to go to drama school. And it was that classic thing where I went back to my parents and said, OK, great, I'm going to apply to drama school now. And they went, ha ha, you're on your own. <laughs> You've already done one degree, too bad. And I, I think I just went, oh, cripes, that's too hard. I can't afford to do that. So I then just kind of kept it going in the background as, um, you know, something to do on the side of getting the real job and getting a life. Um, Travelled around a bit more, ended up um, moving to Thailand for three years, became a journalist, came here, um, and that's where I picked it up again. And I started doing classes at the Actors' Centre 
funnily enough, it turns out, I didn't remember this until Louise Fisher reminded me many years later. She studied with me at that time at the Actors Centre, and one of our teachers was Anthony Skews, um, who is now directing this play and directed my earlier play, Normal. So um, I did all those classes and um, did that classic sort of wanted to write a play for myself to be in. Um, wrote the play, didn't quite come out with a part for me in it and thought, oh, well, I'll put this play on anyway. And, you know, it's such a cliche. But then I went, oh, gosh, that writing thing's quite fun. And I was already writing a lot anyway because of journalism. And I'd, you know, I'd done and I'd written a lot all through school and uni as well. So I had these two strands going on and I just never put them together. So that was the part where I went, well, I can do the writing part and I love the theatre part. So let's do it this way and then I went oh actually that part was probably more fun and more fulfilling creatively than the acting which you know obviously had not really taken off after school so it's been a long time then since I've performed on stage and this is the first time really since then that I've performed which is um, <laughs> a whole new world <laughs> Quite terrifying. <laughs> I can't imagine coming back after that long, but we'll get into the rough trade and your performance. Your writing, do you, do you think the journalism time informs your writing? It seems to. I was, as a journalist, I was never that hard hitting, foot in the door journalist that you think of when you go journalist. I was not the, you know, let's break the big political story mm. because my heart was still very much in theatre. So I was writing writing a lot about the arts and stuff like that. But um, I've always been fascinated by politics and by real people and by those stories that you read and you just go, that is extraordinary. People's lives are extraordinary, more bigger, better, more fascinating than I in my little brain could possibly invent. So I've always been a collector of those stories and people like that. And politically as well, of course, working in journalism, you just become very politically aware and you I think you generally have a political slant on things. It's, I mean, I've never worked at in the right-wing papers, um, but, <laughs> you know, you, you tend to fall on either one side or the other. It's pretty unusual to be a politically neutral journalist, I'm going to say. that People might say they are, but it's pretty unusual. So I, I think, yeah, that has always informed the type of stories I'm interested in or even the slant I take on them. So even if it's something that's not a deeply political story, it, it, you know, at its core, there's always going to be a, a somewhat political angle on it for me. Um, you know, whether that's really just a strongly feminist angle, that for me is a political angle, or whether it's about um, social um, equality, you know, class or, or financial equality, those things, to me, those are all political. So, yes, I think it absolutely has informed. And as you know, I mean, there have been a couple of plays in the past which are absolutely, you know, almost the rip from the headline stuff. So we did, I did with Paul Daly, two versions of the Hansard monologues. Um, so they were, of course, deeply informed by journalism and, and being around politics and stuff. So... Um, but this one, yeah, this this definitely has that um, 
I guess that, yes, I'll go back. The other thing is that there is that ability to interview people or the desire to find real people. And it's not the same. This is not the same as doing a verbatim play or um, um, I think Alana Valentine now calls um, uses the term close work rather than verbatim. Um, or Hansard Monologues were transcript plays. It's not that, but doing that deep level research with the subject matter, and it doesn't apply to every play, but it definitely did to this one. Um, that was a really fun thing to go back to, to go, oh yeah, that's right. Interviewing people, asking them about themselves, uh, giving them space to tell their stories, holding them in that space. I yeah, I was reminded what a quite a gift that is, especially because I'm not intervie interviewing them in a way that's trying to catch them out. Yeah, I'm actually asking, inviting them to share their whole life, their whole story. I'm not pursuing one point that's trying to trip them up. Or not at all. It's quite the opposite with this project. So it has been fun re-engaging with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also like uh, journalism is also kind of observing trends or things that are happening in society and like what does that mean as a, a culture what is the culture that we're living in the society that we're living in so this sort of kind of feeds into that kind of community where do we find our community i understand so talk about rough trade like when i think of rough trade i always think of um the UK record store, <laughs> which took its name from like a band or something. But yeah, it's rough. Tell me about Rough Trade and this show. Yes, well spotted. So I reference the record label and the Canadian art punk band in the show. And of course, Rough Trade, which is um, a term used for um, a type of sex generally between males, uh, homosexuals, uh, but it is also, and of course it's very tongue-in-cheek and that's why they've chosen this name, it is also the name of a Facebook um, group which is a trade or barter swap type group. So um, yes, to talk to your point about observing the world, I've been a member of the group just um, in my personal life for a number of years and I was collecting things because you do as a I think as any kind of writer either journalism playwriting whatever we collect things we observe the world and we collect them and sometimes you don't know why you're collecting them you just go that's so good I have to keep it and I don't know where it's going to end up but I love it so much I can't just let it go so I was kind of you know mentally and visually just a note taking notes collecting things and after a period of time, which really came out of COVID, actually, that group was so clearly a huge support for many people during the terrible times of COVID, as we know, not over yet, but the, the lockdowns and the isolation. It was such an incredible um, group. So even though it's about stuff, objects that people trade, so whatever, you know, my, one of my first trades I did on there, somebody was offering a pair of size 39 glittery Converse sneakers, and they wanted a bungee strap. And it's completely random, right? I have size 39 feet, I had a bungee strap. I went, yes, that is the trade for me. I want those sneakers. And I wore them for ages until they fell apart. Um, so there's a randomness about it. And, that, and that's just about objects. 
But there's a much deeper layer going on, which is that people connect with each other through these kind of surface things, but in a way that supports a, a number of ideologies, actually. It's, it's absolutely anti-capitalist. It's against the idea that we have to pay for new stuff all of the time to make ourselves feel like real people, to make ourselves feel like we're you know, winning in the world because we've got the new thing, the new kitchen, the new clothes. It's absolutely working against that. And, and it's such an old idea, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure and remaking and reusing. But it, it, there's no reason it has to be an old, and you know, we know that society is moving back towards these more traditional ideas of reuse. And, and of course, we must. So there's that anti-capitalist. It's also, you know, so um, environmentally aware to reuse things. And it's also very socially aware as a group and politically extremely left-leaning. I mean, they self-describe as like radical lefty pinko commies. Um, forget it. If you're right-wing, just don't even bother going in the group because, I mean, you can be there, but of course you're welcome. But if you say the wrong thing, you're going to be chucked out because the group does not tolerate any bigotry, hate speech, anything it's 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 a safe space for people to ask safe questions and some of them and this is where it kind of drops into a whole new level because sometimes people are asking questions like i need help i, I need some advice on where to find a queer friendly psychologist with experience of adult adhd diagnosis right that's not a thing you go to the yellow pages to look up. And you might not feel safe asking that in a wider Facebook group or on your public Facebook page. But this group, people can go, oh, yeah, actually, I have some I have some advice on that. Um, it's a place where people can feel, express themselves and go, this thing happened to me. Can you give me advice on how to deal with my landlord who's trying to kick me out because there's mould on the ceiling? And so even though that's not exactly an object to trade, when people put those posts up, they'll say, can you give me some advice? Name your trade. I can offer you some lemons from my garden or I have organising skills. Do you need your home reorganised? Or I can go and pick up your stuff from your last trade or I have this old shirt. And so it's a real kind of realignment of what we value in the world and what we deem valuable and by we i mean society so it's a kind of tiny beautiful microcosm of it's like a little utopia of how things could be different and the other thing is that it's extremely funny people are very very funny in the group and i can't i can't not mention this one of the things that people often trade are sex toys Sometimes they're pre-loved <laughs> sex toys. Um, if that offends you, scroll past. Don't be in the group. <laughs> you know, most people, people in the group doesn't offend. They're like, awesome. I can't afford to buy that sex toy, but I really want it. Yes, I would love that. And by the way, I've got a size 39 pair of old Converse I might want in return. <laughs> Why not? You know, I'm, I'm done with those. I, I want the Sensorator Double Pro, please. <laughs> so it's it's... It's very funny. People people are not afraid to show their personalities and that's what I I just fell in love with really. And so I was collecting all of those stories and through that COVID period, I, I just came to a point where I was like, well, I wanted to do something to celebrate it. 
it was just such a beautiful thing. I felt, yeah, it deserved more people to know about it. And also as a kind of, ah, what would you call it? Like a soft revolution way to say, hey, people, there are another, there's another way of doing things. I'm not the first person to say there's another way of doing things, but I feel like the more times we can say there are other ways of doing things, this groundswell might grow, more more people, more people, and the soft revolution might become an actual revolution, and we might, as society, change the way we're doing things because every playwright wants to change the world, right? Indeed. It's I, I really love those groups. I actually I did a story for the for the ABC a radio story because I was doing the same. I was collecting them. I'm not part of Rough Train, I'm part of like a pay it forward. But what I found is it was this I think the moment I went, I have to do something on it, it was during COVID as well. And it was when um it wasn't just the women that were in isolation and trying to get out with their children and needed furniture and needed that support, which was really just so many people offering to help, offering to drive, deliver, bring furniture, just to help someone that is in need. People offering um, food, but also refugees, you know, people needing things and just this kind of community collective that gets together and wants to do a little bit. And this is how they can do it. They can show their support in this way. It really kind of uh, it gives, I don't know, a voice to the individual again or something. But how did you take those stories then and put them on the stage? And is it just you telling these stories? Is it a solo Katie show? Yeah, I was originally, I really wanted it to be a musical with oh. like singing, dancing dildos, high kicking across <laughs> the back of the stage. That was going to be the awesome version of this show. However... <laughs> Um, look, maybe I just don't have the musical writing skills. I don't know. I haven't given up on that idea. Maybe that's Rough Trade V2. Um, but what happened was, so yeah, COVID happened like second year lockdown. So I was I was collecting the stories. I was trying and trying. And I did an early um, showing of the work down at um, Merigong Theatre Company in Wollongong for their Made in Scratch program, which was great. And so I had like in that version, there was the first 10 minutes and it had multiple characters and it was like this cacophony of voices and it was hilarious and great so I was trying to do that but um I really struggled with it actually in terms of kind of how to progress it through a story I'll be honest it was it was like too many voices to have anything that was a cohesive and narratively satisfying and then COVID lockdown, second lockdown happened um and that really smashed me I've got to be honest for that I, I struggled through that one the Sydney Fringe Festival had given me um, something called an Art in Isolation Residency, which was awesome. It was just for artists to go and sit in the theatre when they were based at the old 505 Theatre in Newtown, sit in there and work on a play. Uh, the intention was for me to do the first draft of the script with actors and work through it. But, you know, that COVID thing, I just could not get my shit together. And so it ended up with just me in the space. And I thought, well, I'll just use the space to write. That's how I'll do it. I'll use the residency. And so I was standing up kind of doing these little scenes that I was writing in these clips, and they started to meld into one person. And that was the way I found the way to kind of this one character as channeling then all of those voices, all of those experiences and the trades are kind of coming through her and she's like 
pig trader, you know, she's she's out there doing doing as much. And through that process as well, then I imagined this character, and even though it's me doing it, and it's of course, you know, a versionish of me, it's not me. Um, and this character, I realise, and this is the other. It sort of speaks to your experience of the pay it forward pages that people are sometimes incredibly vulnerable in these groups, and it's really sort of their port of their last port of call, you know, their last resort for government agencies have not been able to help them. They don't have any money. They're really quite desperate sometimes. And um, so this character became, started to become this person who, who is in quite a dire situation. And I'm sure you're aware, Regina, but for the listeners who aren't, um, Women over 55 are the fastest growing group of people experiencing homelessness in Australia. As a 53-year-old, this is, you know, something that could be staring me in the face. In I'm, I'm quite lucky in my current situation, but I'm very aware through my life experiences and through talking to other people, and because I read, for goodness sake, um, that it doesn't take much we are a few steps away from catastrophe, any of us, at any time. And I don't want that to be all doomy, but it's actually a fact, particularly for women of this age and older. And the reasons are absolutely systemic, and this is political. They are through, you know, the gender pay gap. They're through family violence. They're through the law, um, through crippling cost of renting in this city through almost impossible for people to buy a house multiple systemic reasons and so this character even though it's funny and it's light and there's a lot of great stuff in there it's a bit of a trojan horse this character is in a tricky spot in her life and so it's a way to celebrate how those communities connect and how they support each other and to go, hey, you know, look again at that person you're kind of brushing past as the invisible person. They've got a whole story there and it may be something, it could be you, you know, if a couple of things go wrong. So that's how it's ended up as this one person. And um, it's still a joyous thing, I think. And I, I don't leave people in the doom at the end. I want to say <laughs> it's not doom. But... Um, but it is a slightly more more nuanced thing than it at first appears. And in terms of me doing it, it it's one of those things that seemed like a good idea at the time, you know. <laughs> part, of the, yes. part of the thing with Sydney Fringe, their art in isolation residency, it's part of the contract that you have to present something from the piece for the following year's Fringe or the one after. I probably didn't read the contract closely enough before I signed it. <laughs> So then I thought, oh, okay, I'll just do this little thing. And it's become bigger and bigger as things tend to do. How exciting. So how do you feel about getting back up on the stage? And how are you preparing? Like, what's Anthony getting you to do? How do I feel about it? I mean, I'm, yeah, uh, moving through terrified, excited, terrified, excited. People keep saying to me, look, remember, you're the only one there. If you drop a line, it doesn't matter. But I'm also the playwright, so I'm going, of course it matters. I thought really hard about that line. (laughs) (laughs) 
everything matters. <laughs> so I've um, got that internal tussle going on. Anthony is great. We've spent a long time working on the play, actually. We've gone through a long period of dramaturgy sitting at his uh, kitchen table before we even got in the room, which has been fantastic. Really examining um, the what the character wants, of course, those sort of classic things, but... Um, but also reminding me, the playwright, that in this character you have to recognise the circumstances she is in. So, um, yeah, that we, we're just basically running it through and trying to help me remember the lines. <laughs> and finding, finding the nuance, finding the, just the, the physicality that, that, of course, I'm not so used, used to because that's, that training is a long time ago. So reminding me of those things, um, yeah, finding finding the difference between the way something looks and the way it feels on the inside. It's a very gentle process. Anthony is very gentle to work with until you do the wrong thing. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you know. <laughs> Katie Pollock, thank you so much. It sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks, Regina. And that was Katie Pollock with her play Rough Trade playing at the Seymour Centre from the 6th till the 10th. That's next week. And then following that, the 15th and 16th at the Riverside. So from the Seymour Centre to the Riverside, two chances. 